Good evening to everyone joining from here and those joining from Singapore and other places. I wish you the same good day, good night, whatever time it is. So this will be our last SNBN session with me from next week whenever then Jirana will take over and she will begin from where she had left. So I want to, before I forget, I want to thank everyone for this opportunity to once again look at samsara, look far at nirvana and also get you get to know what connects the two, what's the way to nirvana by keeping in touch with Buddha nature. So it has been a great honor and privilege for me to be on this, on this journey together. So before further ado, we'll spend the first few minutes in silent meditation. In settling our mind and body.
Okay, so <clears throat> in preparation for our recitation of the homage to Shakyamuni Buddha, I invite you to cultivate merit field in Buddha Shakyamuni in the center, in the space above us, with his disciples through the ages, through different traditions, thanking him, masters of the lineage, from all traditions to one's present teachers. Invoke their presence and particularly think of their qualities of body, speech and mind. More particularly that of the mind in the form of infinite love, compassion, conjoined with unerring wisdom, seeing the ultimate reality, integrated with all other qualities such as patience, concentration, joyous effort, morality, generosity, Think of these qualities together with the degrees of cessations that they have attained, whereby they have rendered the respective afflictions and obscurations completely irreversible, thus placing themselves in a state of genuine security, genuine lasting peace and happiness and freedom from the clutches of these afflictions. While thinking of them through these qualities, generate and gather one's understanding to the extent possible in making sense of how such achievement over time is possible. What are the factors required in making that happen? And then more importantly, how in ourselves at this very given moment, likewise in every given moment, we have the potential. It's just a matter of whether we make the efforts in nurturing it, developing it, bringing it to fruition. Through these reflections, it develops a sense of inspiration, appreciation, in terms of the qualities of the Buddhas and the Masters, and also develop a sense of hope, confidence in one's potential. making this a reality for oneself and for the sake of others. As part of the 
visualization, think of all mother sentient beings, fellow sentient beings in human forms, so that we can all join in the recitation and related visualizations together. Yet at the same time, think of sentient beings in their own respective realms and conditions of existence. Reflecting on which gives rise to a sense of affinity of our being same in the same boat at the same time. Thinking of how dependent we are for just about everything that we have and we need, we want, everything comes from others through our interaction. Through these reflections, develop a sense of appreciation and gratitude. And let these then grow into a sense of empathy, compassion, into bodhicitta. I think that one is leading all the rest of the sentient beings in this recitation. Even while we recite it, we also try our best to come up with a felt sense of what the words we are saying, so that they mold into a mental spirit, mental cultivation that is in tune with this kind of a visualization and practice. To the teacher endowed, transcendent destroyer, the one thus gone, for destroyer, completely and fully awakened one, perfect in knowledge and good conduct, one not the bliss, nor the world's supreme guide of beings to be tamed. Teacher of gods and humans, you, the Buddha endowed, transcendent destroyer, the glorious conqueror, Shakyamuni, I prostrate, make offerings and go for refuge. When, O Supreme, among humans, you are born on this earth, you pay seven strides and said, I am supreme in this world. To you who are wise and I bow. With pure bodies warm, supremely fine, this emotion like a golden mountain. Fame that blazes in the three worlds, winner the best supreme guide to you, I bow. With a supreme sign, space like a spotless moon, color like gold to you, I bow. You are immaculate, the three worlds are not incomparable, wise one to you I bow. Great compassionate protector, all-knowing teacher, feel the merit and good qualities, vast as an ocean to the Tathagata I bow. Through purity, freeing from attachment, through virtue, freeing from the lower realms. Unique, supreme, ultimate reality to the Dharma, let us peace I bow. Having freed themselves, showing the path to freedom too, well established in the trainings. The holy field endowed with good qualities to the Sangha I bow. 
Do not commit any non-virtuous actions, perform only perfect virtuous actions. Subdue your mind completely, this is the teaching of the Buddha. A star, a mirage, a flame of a lamp, an illusion, a drop of you, a bubble. A dream, a flash of lightning, a cloud, see condition things as such. Through this merit, may sentient beings attain the state of all seeing, subdue the foe of false. And be delivered from the ocean of cyclic existence, perturbed by the waves of aging, sickness, and death. This ground anointed with perfume, flowers strewn Mount Meru,
how this threefold mode of approach to the Dharma, namely studying, learning, and then reflecting, contemplating on them, and then eventually internalizing them, integrating them with one's mental continuum, how that brings about transformation. in us, in bringing a change in how we look at things. How we relate with them. How we unlock our innate potential of awakening. And how such an achievement will make a big difference, not just in one's own life and condition and abilities, but at the same time, how that can open the door for favorable change the conditions of the fellow sentient beings. Think of how historical Buddha has made a difference even to this day, some 25. hundred years back, <coughs> Now, ourselves doing the same can also make a difference in the lives of others for generations to come. Taking delight, delight in such a prospect, such a possibility, feel more determined to make the most of this life, of this year, of this month, of this week, of this very time tonight. Nudging ourselves closer and closer to such a eventual awakening.
Okay. <clears throat> Welcome. So today we have to finish this. <laughs> so last time we were on page two eighty seven. Is it? Pardon? It is seven. Okay. And I think we were we left at the end of the second paragraph, right? Is that so? Third paragraph, okay. Now we can start. Okay, so by third paragraph you meant it is said that the innate clear light, right? So we will pick up from the very last one. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where is the mention of Sutra and Tantra? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see, yes. Yeah, I remember studying, doing few of the lines of that second paragraph. Okay, so I will once again read from the second paragraph. In both Sutra and Tantra, the subject clear light is the awareness that cognizes the object clear light. So by subject clear, when we say subject clear light, that means the subjective agent is in the form of clear light, which would be the subtlest mind. And then the object clear light would be with no other object but emptiness. And it's termed as clear light because it has this quality of being cleared of any possible stains. By the way, okay, I think. However, the subject clear light mind spoken of in Tantra is far subtler. I see. So in that sense then, by mention of subject clear light, venerable, venerable meant to refer to more broader sense of clear light, both in the, I mean, includes, includes, including the sutra level of understanding of clear light in the form of conventional clarity. That is the mean, the, the mind being conventionally clear light in the sense of its being luminous and cognizant in nature. 
having the quality of reflecting objects, yet at the same time having this additional subjective capacity of engaging with the object by means of cognizance, by means of feeling, experiencing, uh, imagining, all of those. All of these capacities, the agent must be, must have this subjective clear-like nature of being fundamentally luminous and cognizant in nature. So that level of understanding of subject clear light will be common to both subjects Sutra and Tantra, but exclusive to Tantra, when we speak of subject clear light, it's the mind much, much subtler, much, much subtler than the general common understanding of subject clear light. This innate clear light mind, Lenjik Jepe So I was commenting, Lenjik means, Lenjik means together or spontaneous, not spontaneous, something that one is born with. Lenjik, together, together from the very get go, rather than coming into being at a certain point later. Not like that. This clear light mind, which is subtler in nature, called the subtlest innate clear light mind, is something that has always been accompanying us, not something that has just come into being at a certain age, certain time later on. It's a clear light, the mind of clear light. The mind of clear light that we are born with, that we always are together with. It's a special mind because it is the source and basis of all phenomena. Oh yes, now I remember. That's where we elaborated. Yes. Which is the source or the basis of all phenomena. Here, we are talking of the subject clear light mind in the tantric sense, and thus it refers to a much subtler clear mind, but nonetheless still mind, not emptiness, not the emptiness quality, but it's still mind. But at the same time, such a mind that which could be called the source or the basis of all phenomena, irrespective, all comprehensive phenomena in samsara and nirvana, and leaves out nothing outside of it. So, here we are speaking of the subtlest clear light mind, which is the source and basis of all. And I was saying that there are different ways of understanding and different occasions we have come across such a similar statement of describing this special quality in the mind. And there could be several iterations of it. But here we are referring to the clear light mind being source of all phenomena in a very, very peculiar way, in a very unique way, something that's unique to the subtlest clear light mind. 
because compared with that kind of a mind, all the rest falls short of being anything but falls short of being ever present, falls short of being uh, perennial or being constant mind. But it will always, all the rest of the consciousnesses uh, compared with the subtle scalar mind, they all fall short of being a ever-present mind, rather they, they end up uh, becoming only adventitious. So here, adventitious, not in the sense of coming and going in a momentary sense, but coming and going in the sense of their continuum, in the sense of their, in the sense of their uh, continuum of similitude. Their continuum of similitude has a beginning and an end, whereas the subtle clear mind doesn't have anything like that. It never has, it never has been created anew any time, nor does it go out of existence in any given time. Whereas compared with this real mind, all the rest of the mind that we have heard of. So here, when I say all the all the remaining kinds of mind, I'm not speaking specifically of, say, mind as a bodhicitta, mind as a compassion, love, not like that. But mind in the sense of the mind more in the sense of uh, different levels, not levels not in the sense of grades or paths, but levels in the sense of subtlety, grossness, whatnot. So we may speak of subtle and gross consciousnesses among these rest of the types of mind, but in terms of, in terms of their grossness or subtlety nature of it, they all fall short. They're all pale in comparison, if you will. They're all pale in comparison to the subtle scleral mind in being mere adventitious, in being mere occasional or temporary, being, being in existence only for time, time being, but not always present which is the case only of the subtle clear mind. But this mind only begins to be talked about in the subtlest, in the highest yoga tantra, not even in the lower tantras even. So in the entirety of the sutra uh, corpus of teachings, not a single mention of this happens. Yet at the same time, Many of the systems within Sutra make claims of Buddhahood and Buddha after, after reaching full awakening, one can continue to serve sentient beings and their enlightened activity has no end. All of those uh, qualities are spoken of, but when it comes to actually grounding it on a, a subtle, on a profound base, uh, 
unless until one uh, brings about or talks about the subtle skill and mind, all such claims would be not able to be substantiated, at least from the perspective perspective of the highs yoga tantra. So here when we speak of this mind being the source and basis of all phenomena, this is different from saying mind is the source of happiness and suffering in how we train our mind, we can make a difference in terms of how subjected we are to sufferings, how much of a prospect of happiness uh, we can build for ourselves. That's another level of how things can depend on mind and mind being the source and basis of suffering, happiness, whatnot. That's another thing, it's not the same thing here. And then, as we talked about last time, from this Chitramatra point of view. By the way, Chitramatra's take of how things exist is a subtle one, yet at the same time, in the eyes of the Prasangika Madhamikas, that standpoint doesn't have, doesn't have uh, any, what do you call, any vindication in the reality. Of course, understanding that can be helpful in, uh, in one's path in transforming and changing the mind. Not only that, this view of the, of the Chitamatras, uh, they can be employed in sync with, together with, in tandem with a clear light mind uh, in taming the afflictions and the uh, subtle dispositions uh, left by them, uh, yet, yet at the same time, the view of the Chitamatras per se is not something considered to be uh, to be valid, like it will be the case with the gross understanding of selflessness as proposed by the lower tenets, even though they have proposed it, and that that understanding of selflessness falls short of the subtle understanding of selflessness. Nonetheless, what they propose still stands the ground, still is the reality, whereas that's not the case in the in the case of the Chitamatras proposition of how things exist. But nonetheless, when they speak of everything being mind only, mind projected, uh, in the nature of mind, uh, with this very unique mm, mechanism or unique understanding structure that they lay out in terms of the fundamental clear, the fundamental, the foundation of mind, uh, and things being almost like a maturation, maturation of the dispositions left on the foundation mind, and thus saying how each corresponding object and subject 
are a result or are a maturation of the same, similar, same mental disposition. And thus they speak of a lack of duality between subject and object in despite how things appear to be different from the subject and the object. Yet in reality, they are not just of one entity, but having come out or having been a co-matured result of the same disposition. And thus they speak of how subject and object, despite appearing to be very distant, and the reality, in reality, there is no such distinction. So subject object, non-duality, as presented by the Chitamatras, it's profound and it can have a very profound effect on one's mental training in, in mitigating the afflictions and whatnot. Nonetheless, uh, the philosophy itself uh, is said to be not grounded in reality. But it, it can be very profound, as I said earlier, so much so that even practitioners of the highest yoga tantra, uh, who may be so skilled in uh, employing the channel chakras and whatnot, but still uh, falling short of understanding the subtle emptiness as proposed by the Prasangika Mathemikas, they have no other choice but to resort to the Jitamatra's take of how things exist and employ that in their meditation to be this object of the clear light mind and then kind of get by to a certain extent. Eventually, uh, that practice together with other efforts eventually uh, lead them to to, one, to realizing this subtle emptiness as, as uh, proposed by the Prasangika Matamikas. So they have to make do with, with Chitta Matra's take of how things exist, their view, uh, but eventually we have to then leave that behind and uh, move ahead with uh, Prasangika Matamika understanding. Okay, so So this is one way of understanding this subtle clear that mind being the source and basis of all phenomena. Is that in one way we can speak of how existence can be either of the two. One of being fully operational on the level of the subtle clear that mind and the uh, energy mound of it. And the other one is anything short of that, which means not being able to sustain such an operational uh, status. One has to then have to uh, revert to a grosser level of consciousness and its mound. So we can speak of conscious existence in these two terms. So in whatever case, uh, in both of these cases, uh, ultimately it it, it uh, depends on the subtle scalar mind, either with the subtle scalar mind itself being fully operational with this energy mound uh, 
being as functional in terms of serving, serving as the physical support or the basis for that, that kind of existence. And with the mind component being fully operational and fully, what do you call, uh, fully supplied, fully supplied, fully supplied and operational on the subtle escalator mind. That's one way of existing. And we consider that to be the existence quality of Buddha. So short of that, then we have no other choice but to leave that or move away from that by the force of certain karmic forces, by other, by the forces of Namdo, by forces of Namdo, by the forces of um, conceptual contrivances, or by the force of karma at a, a much lower level of existence. One has to, one has no choice but to then move out of uh, such a dimension where all that is, all where all that there is in terms of operation and function is the subtle scalar mind and the mind. Other than that, all the rest is uh, on the level of consciousness and the energy level. Uh, relatively grosser than the subtlest clear and mind. And that dimension of existence has a wide range of variety, including that of ours and that of animals and all, of all other samsaric existences, all the way to the existence experience of bodhisattvas to the point of being on the verge of being Buddha, but not yet. So in, in thinking along those lines, in both the cases, the base is subtle clear and mind. It's a matter of whether one is operating fully on that base itself or operating on something, something secondary to that, though based on that, on that subtle clear and mind. So in that respect, we can speak of everything being uh, based or sourced in the highest, in the subtlest clear mind. Now the question is, is this being, is this manner of being sourced and basis uh, a form of causality, causation uh, relationship or something else? Yeah. Let me reach out to my note. I'm cheating here. In certain, in certain texts, when it comes to discussing whether this, this level or this aspect of his being source or the basis of all is a form of causation in that the subtlest clear mind serves as the cause to everything, or is it something else? It's a, it's a topic of discussion and debate. And so some would point to that, but at the same time, in really uh, teasing it out in terms of what, how it causes, whatnot, it's, it's not that easy. But some have come up with this expression called Rangshin Hindu Kikyu. It's so strange. 
Rangsing Dundup Kichu, they make a distinction between Keji Kichu and Rangsing Dundup Kichu. They make a distinction between cause cause that produces it and cause that brings it brings it along simultaneously so one has a sequential connotation the other doesn't have so Yeah, so it's not that mm, uh, clearly spelled out, clearly understood. Uh, but, but as I mentioned earlier, thinking along the line of how existence could be either of the two, one that's being fully operational and functional, fully supplied, everything being what you call uh, everything being fully furnished, so to say, in terms of existence, directly directly on the basis of the settler's clay and mind and the mount and its mount, or something secondary to it, though rooted in it. And based on that, uh, and that's not just the case with individuals with their mind and their body, but through them, even affecting the environment. Now here we can speak of how, uh, say, at our level, at our level, when we die, when we die, eventually our whole being has to kind of uh, boil down to eventually the subtlest clear light mind and the wind energy at the time of death. The actual time of death is when all the rest have subsided in terms of our body and mind. All that is left is uh, the subtlest clear light mind, the natural subtlest clear light mind, not the cultivated one, but the natural subtlest clear light mind and its mount. Because by that time, there's no choice but for that to be manifest because all the rest have subsided. But then we are not able to sustain it let alone sustain, we are not even aware then. We're dead, not dead, not quite dead. We are in the state of death. I make this distinction between being in a state of death and in a state of being dead. When we are dead, then we leave the body. But at the moment of step, at the actual moment of death itself, we have not yet left the body, left the old body, yet at the same time. Our whole existence is linked, is hinged on that subtlest clear mind and the energy, and 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 between that and the old gross body, there's hardly any connection. So the dependence on the on the gross body is not as much as we are used to having. But at the same time, it is not a complete severance, complete severance or complete leaving the old body. That's why there's this case of the body retaining its glow and retaining its, uh, uh, yeah, retaining its glow and not decaying. But nonetheless, not as, uh, what do you call, uh, 
not as uh, roughly or grossly dependent on the body as we have known in our life. So during that time, when we die and we are at this, I usually, I usually think that when the actual state of death happens, that's beyond the karmic vision of this present life. That's beyond the karmic vision of this, this present life. So the karmic vision of the present life ends with the onset of the subtlest clay light mind. And then since we are not able to sustain in that level, in that state, another karma, in karma karmic force in the form of uh, in the form of a mental contrivance can can drive it, can uh, can maneuver uh, our journey into a into the next grosser level of consciousness, unable to sustain or retain that subtlest level of mind, we have no choice but uh, for you know, what do you call uh, economic force uh, to uh, to maneuver us into the next stage of a grosser level of existence, and that's when the karmic karmic force of the next life would have uh, would have started, and with that starts the parto. With that starts the parto, the intermediate state. We call it intermediate state because it is between death of the previous life and then and a more conventional birth of the next life. But itself is a birth of its kind. And thus, it shares the same karmic, karmic, what do you call it? the same karmic stamp, the same karmic, uh, same karma with the subsequent uh, birth into a particular being. So that's the beginning of the next life. Parto is the actual beginning of the next life, and the parto happens as soon as we move away from that subtle clear mind. So we stay in that subtlest clear mind, which I see as a gap, kind of a gap between the two karmic uh, faces. But nonetheless, uh, this, this gross energy and the grosser, although compared with our uh, usual level of consciousness, uh, that level of cons consciousness, even in the parto state, is much subtler, much subtler, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it's not the same as the subtlest clearer mind. And though, and, and though it has moved away from the subtlest clearer mind, have been maneuvered and driven by the karmic force, but it has its root in the subtlest clearer mind. So in a way, it, it has its source or base in the subtlest clearer mind. And then with the karma impacting not just the not just the individual experience, but also the environment, etc. And thus, even that karmic uh, impact or karmic, uh, yeah, 
karmic impact in the form of environment is also base or source in the subtle scalar mind. So that's how we make this case of subtle scalar mind being the source. But that is very different from saying everything is mentally de designated, where we also see another level of everything being dependent on the mind in terms of its subtlest nature, in terms of its actual mode of existence, no matter what process we take in making it, creating it, whatnot, whatever efforts we put in, however long it may take, but ultimately what we come up with ends up to be nothing but merely designated in the in aggregation of its components. So in that respect, we do see everything being dependent on the mind. But that is not the same as we are speaking here. There, the, the mind that we, that things depend on is more or less, mostly conceptual thought. Because we speak of designation, designation is mostly, not mostly, if I may say, it's either through name and concept. Name and concepts are something that is operated only through the conceptual mind, not perceptual mind. So there the dependency on the mind is on a conceptual mind, and that dependency is uh, slightly different than what we are speaking here. So there are so many levels of mind being, mind over matter, so many levels of mind over matter, and this is one of it, and it's different from other levels, other, other cases of mind over matter. Okay, so, This subtlest mind con continues from one life to the next, but not in an active way, as the basis, as, as the basis of all consciousnesses, but not in an active way, because it's active either in its natural way, which is when we die at the time of death, or at the time when we yawn, when we sneeze, like that. Uh, and the other way for it to be active is by deliberately, intentionally engaging in practices of manifesting it and then employing it on the path. So when we speak of this subtle scalar mind continuing from one life and the other, it's by way of the grosser consciousnesses together with the amount being sourced in, source, sourced in the subtle scalar mind is in that respect, we speak of its being uh, continuing from one life to the next, but not as uh, an active, active component. In terms of its being active component, it's very rare for us since samsaric beings. We just have to rely on when it naturally happens during the time of death, and then during yawning, sneezing, and whatnot, oh, we are ourselves are lost. <laughs> when we are yawning, we hardly can any, do anything. We have to leave everything like that, right? And when we sneeze, we just sneeze out to do this. Everything in our head might even fall, let alone doing something meaningful. So hardly, hardly we have any occasion for it being active. Whereas in the case of the Buddha, 
That's the only thing active. All the rest of the consciousness have completely subsided and gone. That's the only thing operational, active, and that's the only one which is fully furnishing all the activity. And that consciousness, it's only that consciousness together with this mound being the only one that could sustain through time without any end. That's the reason why we make the case for force for being, for, for a being, for a being being always existent. And then on top of that, for a Buddha being existent all the time since becoming Buddha. Yes, yeah. Um, if I understood you, does that mean that a Buddha doesn't have sense consciousnesses? No, they, they have sense consciousness because they have body. Body made just of the subtlest energy, mount of the subtlest clear mind. Because they have, because they have body, but not in, in the very gross way that we think of. Can appear in so many different ways, from different forms, spontaneously. I thought I heard you say, for Buddhas, this is the only mind that's active. Yeah, and for the Buddha, that's the only mind that's active. Together with it, its mind is active, only body active. Together with that settless clearer mind, its mind in the form of the settless energy is also the only physical thing active. And both of them make up for the entirety of their being. And thus, with the body and the mind. I don't quite understand how the sense consciousness would fit in then. Mm. <laughs> and and it, it's possible, like, it's not, it's, maybe it's impossible to understand it. No, 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 no. If, if, I mean, they, in a way, we could say they would come in so many different, they, they would come in a embodied form because of those two components. And in terms of an embodied form, in whatever form they want to be, they need to be, or not, not that they want to be, whatever form that is going to be of service to sensitivity, they are able to, able to appear in that. And, on, and then at that time, all they have in terms of senses, everything, is all directly, directly, actively, because of, directly, actively drawn from or, or arisen from the subtlest energy. And their mind, the space for all of their mind is the subtlest clear mind. Right, but isn't that true of us too? Pardon? Isn't that true of ordinary beings too? No, as I said, the very moment we leave the state of death, we have no other choice but resort on a grosser consciousness and grosser we only are able to operate. Only time when it is manifest naturally is when we are when we are in a state of death, when we have no function and not, not at all, right? Although we are just barely there, but hardly, not just hardly, not at all, 
totally unconscious and unaware, let alone thinking of doing something, writing books, studying, none of that. So we just operate on a grosser level of mind. Yeah, that's why we speak of the dissolution. Okay, we better move. <laughs> yeah, let's see. We'll only, we will stop only at big stations, okay? We on a... Mm. Ah, the subtlest mind continues from one life to the next. It is not a soul or self. It changes moment by moment and it is empty of inherent existent, existence. So, yeah, one has to think one has to kind of juggle these two facts of it, of its being unborn, unceasing, always present, yet at the same time ever momentarily changing, and also devoid of any intrinsic existence. We have to be able to kind of accommodate them all together. There should not be too much of a difficult. Yeah. At that, the Coarser levels of mind absorb into the innate circle of that mind, and after rebirth, the coarse consciousness reemerges from the basis of the innate clear light mind. So we have to make the sense of how subtle clear light mind is the basis. If it is the basis either of Buddha wood or that of samsara wood, <laughs> then, then we can make this sense of how it is the source and basis of all. When these coarse levels of consciousness exist, constructive and destructive thoughts and emotions arise and karma is created. The result of afflictive thoughts and actions is samsara. The result of thoughts and actions purified by the realization of emptiness is nirvana. It is that simple. All we have to do is just turn away from creating it, then there we are in Nirvana. The presence of ignorance or wisdom determines whether this mind is in samsara or in Nirvana. And that's very true, even in our, you know, even in our samsari existence also. But what kind of a mindset we have depends, will determine what kind of a experience we are going through, what kind of a condition we find ourselves. If we could generate, actually generate bodhicitta and sustain it for as long as we are in samsara, even then also, uh, it would be blissful, wonderful, even at that level, let alone full transformation. It is said that the innate clear light mind is the creator, in that it is the source or basis of samsara and nirvana. Okay, so far, in that is the basis. <laughs> but basis in what sense? In in what in, in sense of a cause, in the sense of what is what is spoken of as Rangshin Lundup Kikyo. Rangshin Lundup Kikyo naturally, spontaneously a reason cause. Okay. It is said that the inner light in inner clear light mind is the creator in that it is the source or basis of samsara and nirvana. This indicates that phenomena do not arise causelessly, nor are they created by an external creator. Of course, they have to come from a cause. 
See, in the case of a samsaric existence, it has to be the karmic force, right? The affliction and the karma induced by it. But they have to have a basis from which to arise, and that's what is that basis is what is supplied by this asatless clear mind. To make an analogy, yeah, in 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 one you know in in one of the teachings by His Holiness, he makes this case uh, of asatless clear mind being the basis of everything, uh, both samsara and nirvana, by giving this analogy of solidified water in the form of strong ice, right? Uh, and that of fluid water. In both of these cases, the external form is different, yet in terms of both of them being in the nature of mind, in the nature of water, it's the same all throughout. And likewise, irrespective of how gross consciousness, how gross level of existence we are uh, living, we are existing, all that we settle in both of these cases, the ultimate basis is the subtlest clear mind and this, and its accompanying mount. To make an analogy, owing to the climate in a particular place, plants and animals come to exist there. From that perspective, we say that the climate of a place creates the living beings there because it acts as their basis. Similarly, because the, the innate clear light mind exists, all the phenomena of samsara and nirvana becomes possible. Okay, saying that the clear light mind is the source of all phenomena in samsara and nirvana is a general statement. It does not mean that the subtlest mind wind is the substantial cause for phenomena in samsara and nirvana. Yes, so Venerable is spelling it out very clearly, saying that it's not basis in the sense of a substantial cause for everything. Nor does it mean that all phenomena arise from my clear light mind or your clear light mind. Furthermore, it is not the same as the Chittamatrin assertion that all, oh yeah, Venerable is touching here, Chittamatrin assertion that all phenomena are the nature of the mind, which refers to their unique tenet that an object and the consciousness perceiving it arise from the same substantial cause, the latency on the fundamental foundation of consciousness. We have already dealt with it. Saying that the clear light mind is the source of all phenomena in samsara and nirvana means that all phenomena exist in relation to the mind. All phenomena exist by being merely designated by mind. This con conclusion is arrived at because all other possibilities such as their objective such as objective existence and existence from its own side are untenable. 
Okay, now we are moving into Kalachakra Tantra. The Kalachakra Tantra explains that the ultimate goal, Buddhahood, is based on the subtlest clear light mind. The coarse level of mind, levels of mind, cannot be transformed into the omniscient mind of a Buddha. Transformed in the sense of while retaining its very, uh, what do you call, its very entity. Uh, one cannot become fully omniscient. One cannot give rise to a fully omniscient mind of a Buddha. Only the subtlest wind, mind wind, which is beginning less and endless. Yeah, that's one uh, other aspect of this. Beginning less, endless, neither born nor ceasing. Can continue to Buddhahood, because that's the only one that, 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 that is sustained. All the rest compared with that is not sustainable. Adventitious. By employing the special practices of highest yoga tantra to neutralize the coarser levels of mind while we are awake, right? While we are awake, while we are alive, not waiting until the natural process of dissolution takes place, when, which is when eventually the heart, subtlest clear light mind would have no choice but to, but to take over. Every, everybody has left. Everybody has given up, then subtlest mind would have no choice but to take over. That's the, that's the different thing when it happens naturally. By employing, we cannot always wait until we die to be able to really employ it on the path. But there will be only once everywhere, every life. <laughs> and even then we have no guarantee that we will succeed in doing that. And that's, that's not the way to go about. Hmm. So thus, by employing the special practices of highest yoga tantra, to neutralize the coarser levels of mind, neutralized in the sense of almost simili almost uh, simulating natural process of death deliberately while at the same time being fully awake and during which time all the coarser levels of mind would have dissolved in a similar way it does during a actual natural process of death but having been uh, intentionally deliberately uh, through one's own special means, yogas, one has uh, manifested it. By employing the special practices of highest yoga tantra to neutralize the coarser levels of mind, the defilements present with the coarser levels of mind dissolve and the subtler states of mind arise. When accompanied by wisdom, yeah, merely generating it is again not enough. Even with special efforts, special methods, if one succeeds in generating it, it's just one, what do you call, one, one aspect of the combination that we are seeking to generate. Combination being the subjective agent and then the objective agent. 
subjective agent being the subtlest clearly in mind, even if we succeed in generating it deliberately through special means, in and of itself is not enough. It has to be then conjoined with with understanding, with emptiness as its object, for which one would have to have first understood emptiness fully, and thus be able to call it up and kind of conjoin it. Conjoin it in the sense that one could uh, direct that mind that one has generated uh, into uh, into looking at emptiness or into having emptiness as its object or as its uh, point of focus. But for that, merely imagining that one is focusing on emptiness is not enough. One has to have uh, fully understood it and thus be able to call it up at will. That's the reason why some yogis have to resort to a lesser level of understanding of emptiness, that of the Chitramatrin's level, not, not. and that will not be that combination, although combined with the highest, certainly clearly in mind, will not be as uh, effective in dealing with afflictions and the, the subtle stains of the afflictions. But nonetheless, that's still something better than nothing. When accompanied by wisdom, these progressively subtler levels of mind have more power to effect change and purify the mind. When the subtlest mind wind is activated, made blissful. Yeah, that's another part of it. Our natural activation, our natural process of uh, the subtlest clear mind becoming manifest is not necessarily always accompanied or if at all, accompanied by bliss. And used to realize emptiness directly, it is extremely effective in rooting out the deepest and most entrenched obscurations. So in terms of, in such a situation, both in terms of the subjective mind and the object, it is welding, it is yield, it's welding. In both of these cases, it has gotten the most sophisticated means. And, by, and thus, the combination of that can have the most effective uh, impact uh, in hitting at the afflictions and the subtle stains of it. When all obscurations have been removed, okay, when all obscurations have been removed, can we imagine this for a while? <laughs> when all obscurations have been removed, this innate clear light mind becomes the Buddha's omniscient mind. So Buddha's omniscient mind, Buddha's, uh, what do you call, working mind itself becomes a subtle clear light mind. And his or her uh, working body becomes the, uh, is, is, of the is of the subtle energy mount of that subtle clear light mind. When all obscurations have been removed, this innate clear that mind becomes a Buddha's omniscient mind, the wisdom truth body of a Buddha. Its emptiness becomes the nature's truth body. Yeah, the last time we spoke of emptiness being progressively becoming purer and purer. 
This is, I mean, one way of looking at death being possible on the basis of the mind being purified of the defilements is to think along the lines of what we find in Heart Sutra. Form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. And the other way of looking at that is with this progressive purification of the negativities, obscurations. Uh, it's like the mind's uh, innate purity is being slowly revealed bit by bit, faces to faces. We even go to the extent of saying that if one is purified, the objects that you look at also becomes purified. Not that the objects begin to enjoy that purity, <laughs> but the person who observes it begins to see the object being purified as well. Not that the object becomes purified and becomes Buddha on its own, but to us, we begin to experience the purity. Because to a great extent, the impurity that we see in others is from us. That's the reason why we speak of impure perception towards the teacher like that, and how that's coming from oneself. And when we clear that, we begin to see more and more pure vision of the, of the teacher. Likewise with everything. And so could it be with, 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 the, with the empty nature. But with the emptiness of the mind, I have one thing to add. In the scriptures, it speaks in the in the spirit of the Haizyuk and the spirit of the Prasangika Madhyamika understanding. Within this, within the, within the state of equipoise, within the state of equipoise from, from the path of seeing onward, as the, the corresponding levels of afflictions are purified. When one is in that state of direct encounter with emptiness, not only does one see the emptiness of the mind together with the emptiness of everything, that's another thing about the emptiness, unlike other qualities, that when you see it, not just inferentially, but see it directly, the experience is the experience is such an immersed experience with no inkling, the slightest inkling of anything, anything, anything being multiple, anything being diverse. It is just all, all sinking into just one taste. And thus, there is no such thing as just recognizing the emptiness of the mind and not, not any other thing. But rather, one is in that immersion, totally in sync with the emptiness of everything. But since the purification is happening in the mind of the, of the individual uh, person, the, that person begins to have an additional experience of a purity. And that Purity, that, that experience or sight or sense of purity 
kind of progressively increases with the elimination of the with the elimination of the uh, corresponding afflictions. That's why in the scriptures it refers to this experience of seeing no difference when in regard to seeing emptiness, but seeing the difference of what degree or what phase, how bigger a phase of Dharmakaya one sees. So in terms of seeing emptiness, all of the equipoises have the same experience. When it comes to seeing the additional complex aspect of Dharmakaya, there is a difference, there is a progressive increase, increment in, in, in the face of Dharmakaya that the subsequent equipoises see. So that's a clear, uh, what do you call, clear reference to the cessation being seen in the, in the, uh, during the equipoise, uh, along with seeing emptiness, uh, while saying that the equipoise itself is a cessation, or the cessation itself is emptiness, is a matter of uh, opinion. But in terms of seeing an increment uh, of Dharmakaya with the progressive uh, equipoise is something very uh, clearly uh, very clearly stated, and everyone accepts that. Okay. Its emptiness becomes the nature truth body, and the subtlest mind transforms into the Buddha's form bodies, the enjoyment and animation bodies by which a Buddha benefits sentient beings, even with sense, sense organs and sense consciousness. <laughs> the key to the tantric path is learning how to make manifest the subtlest, clear, subtlest mind wind. Yeah, how to activate it and employ it on the path, how to make it function for us. And use it to accumulate merit, wisdom, and attain full awakening. So, it's a way of saying accumulate merit and wisdom, but basically what it is saying is using it into the path, into cultivating bodhicitta, into cultivating wisdom, or like that. This begins with, yeah, this is very important. This begins with gaining the process of path, the process of approaching the path and moving along it. To a great extent, it uh, depends on first having a clear roadmap, a clear roadmap in terms of what are there on the road, right, on the journey, what leads to what, and how it leads. One has to have a gain. One has to have gain a, a comprehensive understanding. This begins with gaining a comprehensive understanding of the entire Buddhist path from beginning to end. Tsongkhapa very often emphasizes this in Lamrim and other texts also. This is very crucial. And once one has understood it, then one kind of uh, have a clear idea of, or a planning in terms of what to do, how to approach it, 
and then begin from where one is. Uh, and then generating the three principal aspects of the path, that is working from where one is, but at the same time, first beginning with having a comprehensive understanding of the entire Buddhist path or the roadmap. And then generating the three principal aspects of the path, the aspiration for liberation, bodhicitta, the correct view and emptiness. When properly prepared in this way, we then receive empowerment into highest yoga tantra. That is, the start of tantric practice is, the start of tantric practice marks the culmination of the, or it, it happens in the wake of culminating the sutra paths. And sutra paths mainly are constituted in these three aspects, or the three elements of the paths in the form of in the aspiration to liberation, bodhicitta, and the correct view. When properly prepared in this way, we then receive empowerment into highest yoga tantra. That's the entry point into, into tantric practice, and more particularly into highest yoga tantra. And then we abide with the tantric ethics, ethical constraints and meditate on the generation and completion stages. It's even said that when one has taken the empowerment and has received it in the most ideal way, not just going into the motion of it, but actually actually making it kind of making a direct connection with it or with a live uh, what do you call experience of it, then all one needs to do is in terms of making progress along the path, is observing the ethical restraints. If one could observe it purely. Because remember, in the tantric level, when we speak of ethical restraints, ethical restraints themselves involve mind, right? The transgressions involve how mind affects, how mind, whether mind has slipped away or like that. So the ethical kind of restraints uh, involve uh, dealing with the mind. It's not like at this Pratimoksha level where the restraints themselves involve only on the periphery of mind, of our body and speech. But as we zoom in, progressive, beginning from this Bodhisattva wow, and then eventually into the highest yoga tantra wow, the tantric wow. Uh, the restraints themselves uh, involve uh, mental uh, men mental conducts and mental uh, disciplines. That's why there's a, there's a saying that all one needs to do is just be purely observing the precepts, and that's all uh, that will be enough. To, yeah, that's another way of saying it. When Properly prepared in this way, we then receive empowerment into highest yoga tantra, abide with the tantric ethical restraints, and meditate on the generation and completion stages. This causes the winds to enter, remain, and absorb, dissolve in, in the central channel, at which time all coarse levels of mind cease 
and the subtlest mind wind is activated. This is made blissful and used by used to realize emptiness. The stage of example clear light. That's the third stage. Example clear light is attained when this subtlest blissful mind wind realizes the object clear light emptiness via a conceptual appearance. So there is such thing as subtlest clear light mind, but still conceptual in nature. And that is the level of the, the third level, or we call it the example clear light. When it cognizes emptiness directly, when this example clear light mind evolves eventually into a directly perceiving clear light mind, the stage of actual clear light or the meaning, sometimes it is translated as the meaning clear light. The third one is exam, example clear light and the one subsequent to that evolving into a direct percept, perceptual clear light mind is called meaning clear light or actual clear light. So that is attained. Someone who has attained this will become Buddha in that very life. So in the, in the tantric system, when one attains the, the meaning clear light or the actual clear light, one enters the path of seeing. One becomes Arya and one becomes at the same time Arhat. And it is guaranteed that one is become, become beginning to proceed to become Buddha in that same life. There's no, no mediation. So, so this speaks of the sophistication of the path. So all of the afflictions, the nine levels of afflictions are eliminated at once. One doesn't have to go through the process of building, gathering, the cessations. Okay, someone who has attained this will become Buddha in that very life. Who wants to become that? The discussion of clear light relates to the topic of Buddha nature, the potential of each and every sentient being to become fully awakened Buddha, to which we now turn next. <laughs> okay, so we finished it. <laughs> okay, so now the stage is set for Venerable <laughs> resume from the next chapter. Okay, so we'll dedicate. May the spiritual teachers who lead me on the sacred path and all spiritual friends who practice it have long life. May I pacify completely all our inner hindrances and such inspiration I pray. May the lights of the venerable spiritual mentors be stable 
And there were two attractions spreading the ten directions. May the light of love some teachings dispelling the darkness of the beings in the three worlds always increase. Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious body, mind, not yet born, arise and grow. May thy born have no decline, but increase forevermore. In the snowy mountain, pure land, you're the source of good and happiness. Powerful, tending God's such energy, may you stay until samsara ends. May the deeds of explaining and practicing the Dharma, done by groups supporting the teachings and their upholders, who spread the view of dependent arrival.